Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You're listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a conversation with a guest sharing their story and insights about what can help when you're adapting to loss. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Mally Monroe, an art therapist who works in grief and loss with children and author of the memoir, Acceptance, a story about the loss of her dad. Mally, welcome to the Grief Stories podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me here. I'd like to begin by asking you to share with the Grief Stories audience your story of loss. Thank you. Um, Well, first, I'd like to just share how honored I am to be here. And I'm getting emotional. This Mm. is cool. (laughs) Um, Oh, this is so cool. And and why it's cool is is so a bit about the story. It's called Acceptance, a Personal Journey of Self-Discovery. And I wrote the story about 20 years after my dad passed away from from cancer. Actually, sorry, 17 years after he passed away from cancer. And the reason why I did that is um, from the time he passed away until I was able to start talking about it. I was catatonic and I kept my emotions so incredibly closely guarded in myself. And it's almost like the the day that he got buried and the earth went on his casket and I put a stone on his grave. It's almost like a part of me got, got welded shut. And for many years, I felt like a deer caught in the headlights and I was unable to connect with my emotions in in any way shape or form and it's almost like the harder that I tried the harder that my grief and loss and fear and shame and all the big emotions said "Uh uh-uh not right now and I wanted so much to be able to open up and to share my emotions but I just couldn't and instead what happened for me is I felt stuck and emotionally catatonic it It's almost like my strong emotions were so tightly nestled in my past and they blocked me from speaking. And the like the pain was so hard when he passed away that I just couldn't bring myself to to dredge up any more hurt. And it felt like um, even the thought of sharing any part of my past and my pain with anyone, let alone myself meant that I had to climb my way out of my own insurmountable mountain of grief, which in all honesty, I just wasn't prepared to do because it was so painful the, uh, the, you know, when, when he passed away. Right. And so, and, and so what happened is um, I was emotionally frozen in time with, with my emotions from the day that he passed away from cancer until I connected with my editor, who, who, who I told her, you know, I would really like to work on the story. 
And um, and she 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 asked me what it's about. And I told her, well, it's about the story of how when when my father passed away. And at the time she asked me, OK, Mally, how did you feel when when your father passed away? And I said, well, I felt upset. And for me, by saying this one word encapsulated my whole book, which is about 280 pages, because from my perspective, saying upset meant here, here's my whole story. Here's my rage. Here's my sadness. Here's my loss. Here's my despair. Here's my hopelessness. Here's my, why am I living? And he died. And she looked at me and, and I remember her saying, Mally, you haven't shared anything with me. And I looked at her like, I thought she was crazy because from my lens, I thought I had shared everything with her. She, she looked at me and told me, uh-uh. I ha- I don't have a clue as to what you just said. And I looked at her again, thinking, you're crazy. And then I uh, said, you know, so what exactly do you want me to do? And she said, what I want you to do is to take me back to the day that he passed away. I want you to be really clear and take me back to what you saw, what you felt, what, what you smelled, what was going inside what was going on outside of you? And I said, oh, and I remember um, going and starting the writing process. And because I was still so emotionally catatonic, when I wrote, it's almost like looking at the most beautiful sculpture in the world and describing it in, in two-dimensional format. And so I was describing it, but I wasn't giving you the felt experience. Right. And that, I think, you know, that sounds so much like that space of being blocked, right? It really was, you felt exposed because you had been so blocked when you shared just a little bit, it felt like exposure. And the reality was it was still very tightly held. It was still very closely wound up and held inside of you at that point. Very much so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much so. And it's when um, the example is if I were to whisper and thinking I'm shouting all around me and everyone is going, oh, and they're putting their hands over their ears and going, that's too loud. Whereas for me, even that that whisper was took so much strength to say. Yeah. So it seems like when your dad passed away from cancer, that it process that you went through was a turning inward and a closing off. And that feels to me like it was survival. It was, how do I get through this? And so one of the challenges was trying to figure out how to live without your dad. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, you lived by shutting that part off. Yes. That was how you adapted. That is exactly how I adapted. And there was a part of me that always hoped that he would come back. So, um, so I also work as a therapist and there's, there's a grief and loss um, uh, person, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross that came up with the five stages of grief and loss. And there's, there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, there is depression and there's acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so what I found was as I was going through my process and, oh, I, I should mention that some people think that 
there's a cookie cutter approach to grief and loss. And what I would like to share with 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 uh, the people listening is the grief and loss process is as individual as a thumbprint. Each person has their own way of approaching it. And um, one of the worst things that I, and I laugh, but the laugh just underscores my irritation when I hear people doing this is when they say, you know, the, the person you're mourning was a good person and get over it quickly. Because in our society, hi, you've got five days off of work and that's when you can do all of your grieving. Yeah. And I think the points that you're making are so important, right? That um, there's common experiences and there are some universal type of experiences that grief brings. If you love someone, if you feel attached to them and connected and lose them, there are some universal experiences, but how we experience them is so unique and and every individual has their own journey. And here you were on your path, learning about the five stages or maybe knowing about them beforehand and applying them as you live them, right? Um, and I think, you know, I like to mention like that um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talked about the five stages and her research was really actually initially about people who were actively dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got also um, some other people talk about the phases of grief. Uh, I think it's Davidson that talks about the phases of grief. So less linear than stages, mm-hmm. but, um, but also I think the point that you and I are both making is that whatever the theory is, it's how we apply it in an individual's unique experience that is oh, at the totally. heart of the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah wonderful point. Thank you. Thank so you. You're going and- through your process. Sorry. Yes. Um, Just to add to that, what I found was as I was going through my process, I knew all these stages intellectually, but to actually experience the stages holistically, emotionally, just takes it to a whole other level. Yes. Yeah. It takes it to a whole other level. And there's, there's wisdom in the learned experience. There is. And so, so this process that you were in and your initial adapting was to be frozen, to be holding it tight and close so that you could move through the world and try not to feel too much pain. I feel like that may be part of that motivation, Um, you know, conscious, unconscious, all Mm -hmm. of that. Um, And then this, this experience with your editor and the telling of the story Mm -hmm. was something that really was shifting for you and your perspective and your, in your growth and your grief. Mm-hmm. experience, right? What were some of the challenges of moving through that? I mean, I imagine it was quite challenging to feel so blocked for so long. And then maybe there were also some challenges as you moved through kind of opening it up. There were huge challenges. So um, in as much as going inwards was really painful, the opposite of coming back into life was equally as painful. So that for me, I would think would would be the biggest challenge because it was really coming to turn the fact that, hey, life with my dad wasn't ever going to be and he wouldn't be able to see me get married or or get to meet his granddaughter. And then each year that his birthday came around. Well, it's like happy birthday, dad. And what he loved uh, was drinking um, Heineken beer and eating those salt 
salted almonds. So on his birthday every year, I buy non-alcoholic beer and I have some salted almonds. So, um, but in terms of the challenges, it's, it's, it's coming to a place where you can sit with your emotions and not run from them. And um, up until he, he uh, passed away, I kind of lived life with having rose colored glasses on. The world is great. Everything is great. And then having my, my dad pass away, it's like, well, all, all, like all of a sudden that rose colored existence starts to disintegrate. Right. Uh, yeah. When you have someone that you're so close to feel so attached to so much a part of your heart, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, that pain is so great when they're suddenly absent. Yes. Yeah. 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 I love the tribute of buying a, a beer and some mel- oh. almonds of that. It's such a beautiful way to just honor him and his, you know, pleasures. Totally. I mean, my dad had eyes that twinkled yeah. and um, it was great. You know, like I was thinking back to one of his favorite hobbies was he used to love to sneak up behind people and scare the crap out of them. And then he would sit there holding his gut, just laughing. And I was thinking back to one time uh, my dad was in the living room upstairs and then I spoke with him a bit. And then I went downstairs to speak with my sister and um, her door was closed and we were on her bed, you know, and um, just talking and laughing. Then all of a sudden he burst through the door and both of us screamed and he's going, Oh, this is so funny. (laughs) So part of the challenge also is um, really coming to an awareness that He's not here anymore. Yeah. He's not going to jump out and surprise you. Not going to come out. And, yeah. Which yeah. is a shame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so the, the, the part, the time that you spent holding that close and not examining it too closely feels like it was a long stretch of just really not wanting to admit that out loud, kind of, so to speak. Right. Totally. Yeah. And then, and then as you moved into it, then the pain starts to surface. And we know in grief work, we know that as we begin to accept the reality of a loss, that's when the pain really starts to begin. Right. That when we're in that space, when it doesn't seem real, it's, it's not necessarily quite as painful because, well, maybe it's not quite real. That is, yeah. So um, in the what I call the denial stage, I think I'm going to keep my um, emotions safe and as calm as possible. And it and it doesn't seem real. And it, it seems like like I'm also like like it's almost like watching a show on TV. There's a strong disconnection between the reality, the harsh reality that I experienced and then trying to make sense of it all, you know, and, and sometimes there's just, there's this just warbling of the mind going, what is my, uh, my new reality? Yeah. And so as you were writing, you're dealing with some of these processes of bringing the mm-hmm. feelings to the surface, being with them in a different way. Yeah. And memories are, are probably woven into that process as well. What were some of the things that have been helpful in your healing as you've gone through this process? 
Thank you for that beautiful question. Um, the, the first part that really helped me was to realize that grief is its own process. Mm -hmm. um, that was really, really important. And then um, as I started to get more into the stories and the feelings and, and going back to the day of, really learning to be compassionate with everything that came forth. Um, here was a situation where my dad was diagnosed in February and he passed away in September. So in a sense, I had a bit of time to process and think, well, maybe he'll beat it. He'll fight it. All, all that bargaining stage stuff. And then when it actually happens, it's like, huh? So thinking how, I would feel when he passed away was totally different from how I, from how I actually felt when he uh, passed away. Um, so in, so in terms of moving through all of the feelings, it meant going back and really being present with what happened on the day. And then as I went in my healing, there were days where I laughed out loud at, at something which I found funny. And then I felt Huge shame because I thought, oh, I'm here. My dad's not here. How can I be laughing? And that was a really good um, reminder that healing, that healing isn't always getting in touch with sadness, with despair, with despair, with the helplessness. Also part of healing is also about remembering what you really miss most about the person who's passed away. Mm -hmm. and, and what you remember isn't so much you know, watching them pass away or, 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 or bearing them, but it also connects with when you spend time together. Um, um, I call these um, the ordinary moments of, of, of a day, you know, like sitting across from each other, having a cup of coffee, one person's reading a newspaper, one person is looking at this and you're sharing the space. So at the time, it's like, oh, it's just an ordinary part of the day. But then when you look back, it's like, oh, could I go back and recapture that? Yeah. But, but, but time travel isn't possible. So in the healing process, what I found so beautiful was, well, intense and, and heartache and all that kind of stuff. But also what was beautiful about the process was being at a spot where I could sit back and reflect on when when he would scare myself and, and my sister or when he would do this or when he would do that and watching his eyes twinkle you know yeah. and so what I found was the healing for me gave me the opportunity to really step outside of my comfort zone mm. and uh and in that as I stepped outside of my comfort zone it meant really remembering my dad for who he was and what, what joy he brought to the world. And also sometimes also thinking back, well, it, uh, it uh, wasn't always joyous, you know, dad had feelings and emotions like everybody else. So it was in a sense, taking him down from a pedestal that I had put him on say, Oh yeah, well, I remember that and that I really miss, but Oh, I remember that. And maybe not so much, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's, so it's really looking at uh, the humanness of the, person and not as on on a pedestal as a person who's passed away but looking them as a person and I think that's such an important insight or thought process in terms of when I'm working with people who are grieving 
what I often notice is that we, we, in the early stages of adapting to that loss, we're so focused on how the person died, how, how much time we had with them, how, what their pain was like, or what treatment they got or didn't get, uh, what our experiences were, what we had a chance to say or not say, do or not do. And so we focus very much on that end of life peace and death mm-hmm. in the beginning. Yes. And what you're really talking about is our ability to move from holding it up so close mm-hmm. to moving it away and giving it some perspective that allows us to see the whole picture again. Exactly. And maybe beginning with some of those beautiful, laughing, smiling memories of joy, but also honoring the whole person for better or for worse. Totally. When we have that full perspective and, and that that's kind of the, the, the path of healing is to be able to come back to seeing that whole person. Mm-hmm. And also to connect with in, in, in the grief and loss process, like oftentimes when people go into it, they become isolated. They think I'm the only person going through this and people become their own islands of isolation or loss or grief. And where healing happens is where you can meet another person and say, Hey, this is what happened for me. And that person says, wow, you know what? That, that happened for me. And this is what, you know, how it's affected me. And this is, you know, this is how I've dealt with it and all that. So there's a, yeah. It's so true that, um, I mean, sometimes it's nice to have someone who has ex- expertise and knowledge about grief and can act as a bit of a guide in mm-hmm. your experience, but it's also equally important, maybe more so in some ways to have those peers, people who have a similar lived experience who can share the path with you in a different way, not as a guide, but as a fellow traveler. Absolutely. And I find that, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll back up a bit. If a person is suicidal, if a person is thinking of hurting somebody else, if a person is thinking of hurting animals, I definitely think that that professional intervention is warranted. If a person is going through a really challenging time and the, their peer supports aren't helping them, definitely reach out and, and speak with a person who is unbiased and who's mm-hmm. treating you as a person and here's what's going on. And I also think there's great benefit also in connecting with someone who's gone through the lived experience. Mm-hmm. Because having that felt sense of, yeah, that was really hard that day. And this is really hard. And, you know, the first birthday when they're not around might be hard or, you yeah. know, the, the, the anniversary of the death day, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Each, each of those types of supports offer important potential help. Exactly. And so it's, I like how you sort of blended like the, the ways that different types of help can, can be useful or I, I'm struggling for the word, but I think really supportive, I suppose, is probably the best way, right? Because grief counselors, therapists of different types bring um, elements and peers with lived experience also bring elements. And my experience is often that an, a blend of the two in some way um, can shine the, the most light on the path. Absolutely. And if anyone who's listening to the podcast Maybe they haven't experienced a, a a person passing away in their life that's close to them, and they ask, 
what like a, a friend, family, relative, whomever has, has recently experienced this loss, how can I help them? And, and this comes just from my experience, but go and sit with the other person and you don't even have to say anything. There's something so incredibly comforting about someone coming and sitting beside you, not saying anything, not giving any advice, not telling you you should do this, 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 or this, sitting beside you and giving you presence and walking alongside of you is so incredibly powerful. I often talk to people who want to know how to support people who are grieving uh, about the importance of being able to just be silent and present, you know, that we don't have to have words for everything, you know, despite the fact that I, you know, do a lot of talking in my work at different times, (laughs) we don't have to have words for everything. We can just be with one Mm -hmm. another and just acknowledge that we're in pain that there's that and that we're together. Exactly. And there is that honoring of space and emotion. And oftentimes people think, well, I have to come up with the right word. I'm like, no, sometimes, and I mean this with all due respect, sometimes when people open their mouths, they really say the wrong thing. <laughs> so sometimes it, it it just might be best for everyone involved. Like I'm thinking of Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. He thinks he's helping, but he's actually not. So sometimes being present with with another person. And, you know, um, as I was working on the book, I was pretending that I was being um, interviewed by Oprah. And in the book, sorry, in the pretend interview, she asked me, Mally, what does grieving mean to you? What does the grief and loss process mean to you? And I was driving and these words came out of me. I'm going, wow here are the words and they are once there is acceptance everything else falls away and those words like you could have um struck me down with the lightning because that to me really sums up beautifully what the process of grieving is all about coming to accept not just at a brain level but at a heart level that the person is no longer here. And that acceptance, that, that acceptance is the adaptation or the adjustment to this reality without their physical presence. Exactly. And in, in a way to have meaning and purpose in this new reality. Yeah. So it's a new way of living and, and being mm. in this world. And, and for some, um, they turn inwards. For others, they go, okay, I don't like this. It kind of bites the big one. Mm-hmm. And where do I go f- from here? And, and I realize it bites the big one isn't a very technical term, but I think it sums it up really well, you know? I think, it's, I think it does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's so um, reflective to me of the language of grief, right? It's messy sometimes and it's not always pretty and, and, um, uh, delicate. It's often we're in the, in the thick of it and it's hard and painful and we use language and we use actions, you know, to express what we're feeling internally sometimes. Um, and so I think, we get so many different expressions that come out of that. 
We do. And I've, and I've had people ask me, Mally, what is the fastest way to get through my grief and loss? And I say, well, you might not like my answer. I like try me. And I said, okay, the only way through it is through it. There, There aren't any shortcuts in any way, shape or form. And if you find a person that says, hi, I'm going to help you with a shortcut, run the opposite direction. Yeah, because there are no shortcuts. And the other thing is that, you know, I I often say to people that your grief is yours for life. Yes. You know, that this is this is actually yours for life now because your love is never going to change. And so mm-hmm. your grief will always be present because the person that you love is absent physically, right? Exactly. And so it becomes not how do I get rid of my grief, but how do I carry my grief? Exactly. And I went to a narrative training, um, narrative therapy training um, pre-COVID. And I got to write a letter to my dad as if he were alive. Mm. And I found that process so incredibly beautiful because our North American way of dealing with grief is like, okay, here's your five days, just deal with it and move on. And then bury the person's memories. Whereas I found with this, this, this narrative therapy program, which I took training in, that it brought the person to life. And what happened was instead of saying, okay, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. It's like, hello, this is what I so appreciate about you. And in that process, the, the, so, um, in, so indirect narrative therapy was when I wrote my book, uh, acceptance, because in bringing all of that to life, it gave me the opportunity to go, Oh yeah, now I remember it. And then because prior to writing the story, I was tethered to my dad emotionally mm-hmm. and I couldn't let go. And I found that in the writing process, um, I was able to come to a final acceptance about his passing. And there's a cool part in, in the book. Um, I don't know how much time we have left, but I uh, read it today and I'm like, wow, that sums it up really nicely. So I don't know what, what, yeah. what the time is like. Uh, well, why don't you read that part? And, uh, and then that'll carry us. Okay. So uh, a bit of a background is this is so in the book, I, I come face to face with my father um, in an energetic process. And, and, and this theme is woven throughout the story. Mm-hmm. So in this uh, part is when I, when I connect with him again, and I'll just read what it has to say. At the heart of my story, I was finally able to give myself permission to untether my father from me. And because of this, I was able to say goodbye to my father. The story about the story was about realizing I'd been holding my father's memory hostage for 17 years. My father stood patiently waiting for me to let him go. I slowly nodded my head in agreement and then met my father's gaze, belaying my acceptance. I no longer felt like a clingy child who feared abandonment. I only wished for him the best journey home. I whispered to myself, my darling papa, I will miss you and will always love you. My father looked at me and smiled. He he heard my wish for him and I was overcome with contentment. He nodded his head in appreciation and looked at me with compassion and great love. I smiled back in recognition. 
My father leaned into me and gave me another big hug. I realized this was the last time I would inhale my father's cologne. I snuggled closer into him and I felt him squeeze me harder. Yes, I would be lying if I said I did not want to be comforted by my father forever. Yet in, in saying this, I also acknowledge my wants and needs were no longer a life or death cry of despair. I was able to appreciate his hug without the need to cling and hang on to his memory. My father looked deep into my eyes. He had peace in his life, and he was no longer in pain. Now, as I stood here looking deep into my father's eyes, I said goodbye to the man who threw me up in the air when I was two years old, who used to lean in and give me a, a sideburn kisses, and who took great delight, delight in scaring me half out of my wits. Overcome with understanding, I let my father go. Final acceptance. My father turned his head to the side and squinted. He nodded his head as if acknowledging another conversation. A smile spread across his face. His next destination awaited. Uh, sorry, his next destination awaited his presence as the next leg of his journey was about to begin. My father was now free to make his way to the other side without any obligation to come back. It was time for him to go. He turned his face back to me. We were once again looking at one another. He grabbed both of my hands in his, in his and he thanked me for, for releasing my need to have him in my life. He gave my hands one final squeeze and then released them. He turned his body and started to walk away. He has stopped mid-stride and looked over his shoulder and smiled at me one last time and continued on his way. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for reading. I think that your story of acceptance, the title of the book, and also the process, right, captures so well that uh, the ache that we feel in mm -hmm. grief and also the peace we can feel when we come to a place of acceptance and can live fully in the present with um with an awareness of the of what we've lost, but also awareness of um, our own ability to ground and center and care for ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I consider the grief process piecemeal in, in terms of when it first happens, you can't see the whole picture. And then as time goes on, you can. Um, if you look at the cover of the book, at the painting that I did, yes. Um, and I talk about it in the book. There's a there's a part of the picture which I hadn't been able to see, even though it had been there all this time. But I only saw it after I finished writing the book acceptance, and I included it as a very last thing. Yes. In the story, yes. but it's only once we're able to see a more full picture. Mm -hmm. That that we get different perspective, mm -hmm. and that that and it, it helps us sometimes come to some peace, exactly with what yeah. is right, and um, that it seems to me that a part of then your healing journey has also included art making, and I include the writing as well as the mm -hmm. the cover image and other art that you may have made through the times that. You were doing this work for yourself. And um, I think that um, it's striking how art making can help us move through 
so many different experiences and sort of whether we're telling the story or, or painting or sculpting or uh, making music, other types of art making, we are moving through the emotions and moving them into the world in a way that then helps us gain that perspective that you're talking about. Absolutely. And, and, and why art works so well. So I work as an art therapist and why it works so beautifully is um, when a person does art, the art is able to bypass the verbal language. Right. And so oftentimes when, when you ask a person, how are you doing? People go, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Meanwhile, their cat could have, could be up in a tree and they've been up there for two days and, you know, they got a flat tire on the way to work you know, depending on their work, someone might've swore at them at work, but you ask them, how are you doing this? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Whereas when a person actually does artwork, they can't say, oh, I'm good. I'm bad, whatever. Because, because everything that a person draws comes from their unconscious, unless they're doing paint by numbers. And that doesn't come from a person's unconscious. But if you're doing a picture, if if you're doing a sculpture, um, anything that you find helps you to release some emotions, and that's nonverbal, helps you to access some parts that don't necessarily have words. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be so important because all the parts of us with and without words have gone through this experience and need integration. Exactly. And if a person has experienced multiple losses in their lives, like, for example, a person has experienced trauma, abuse, neglect in childhood, and that goes unchecked, and their body gets physically uh, bigger, but but the, but developmentally they're still stuck at that same space, and they move through life, and other traumas and abuses and grieves uh, grievances and losses happen. Then what might happen is the loss that they experience now might be a a, a connection into the grief and loss of the past as well, and that's and that's where the nonverbals really help. So if a person experienced something in childhood, then doing the nonverbal stuff will help the person to connect with the small part of themselves Mm -hmm. that doesn't have any words. Mm -hmm. But that is still influencing behavior and thoughts and feelings and in the adults, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And our healing from our healing from that perspective happens, um, uh, in so many different layers and so many different ways. And so your journey ex- just illustrates that um, beautifully in terms of how art making and being able to be with yourself and have that supportive encouragement to do that um, can be really powerful in, in moving us through grief, even when we've been stuck for some time. Exactly. Yeah. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Such a filled with so much compassion and gentleness and authenticity for the process that is grieving. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mally, for sharing your story with us. Well, I feel truly honored for having this opportunity and, and heartfelt thanks. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. 
While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we realize that these stories may be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.